exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Milanowski. Being vulnerable is a situation we often try hard to avoid. Those vulnerable places where we feel exposed, susceptible, and frightened. Today's guest offers an alternative view towards vulnerability. In our conversation, he shares about his own life and tragedy and faith, sickness and growth, and finding holy moments in each of these. Reverend Kip Rush is a lifelong Cumberland Presbyterian and the senior minister at the Brent Haven Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. He currently serves on the Board of Trustees for Memphis Theological Seminary and on the Board of Ukirk, Nashville, a Presbyterian college ministry serving Vanderbilt and Belmont Universities. Kip shares it is in these holy moments where we take a risk at being vulnerable that deepens our relationship to God and with one another. Join with me in this episode of Cumberland Road with Reverend Kip Rush. All right, Kip, Kip Rush, thank you for joining me on the podcast. This has been months in the making, literally months in the making. (laughs) Well, okay, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I am glad that I've been able to, to corral you in and for you to be able to share your faith journey. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, just, you know, right now, breathing easy. Uh, we're in the summertime and uh, church camping is over for me for the summer, which I've always loved. And uh, so I'm taking it easy. And yes, it has been months only because I just didn't figure there's anything that I need to say that anybody want to hear. So, you know, so those of you listening, <laughs> good luck. Turn it off now. <laughs> So take a few minutes and tell everybody who you are and where you serve. All right. Kip Rush um, grew up in the Covenant Presbyterian Church from Austin, Texas. Um, I like to tell people that I'm an orphan because my home church, the St. Paul Church, is no more. Hmm. Um, Found that out actually while we were here in Nashville and found out accidentally when uh, Don Tabor, I was working on his computer and he goes, do you know the St. Paul Church? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, they just sold it. And I went, what? So anyway. Uh, but grew up in Austin, Texas, and have been coming Presbyterian for as long as I can remember. And have we are now, Jody, my wife, and our daughters, Madison and Devin, we live in the Nashville area. Uh, been serving in the Brentwood, uh, Tennessee area for going on 17 years now at the Brent Haven Cumberland Presbyterian Church, or Brent Haven Church, as we always say. And it is um, a merger that was established back in 2003 by Nashville Presbytery between the old Brookhaven CP Church and the Brentwood CP Church. Um, Presbytery came in and asked them if they would consider doing this. Uh, They had the pastor was going to be coming from one of the churches, and a month before the first meeting, he left. He happened to be serving on the denominational board with me, and he was telling me that they were merging these two churches, and I looked at him and said, have you lost your mind? (laughs) Why would you want to do this? Do you know how hard that's going to be? And he said, he said, well, he said, it'll be good. It'll be good. Well, then a month before he leaves, left the denomination. And uh, they go a year with an interim. And I come in, we were serving in Mississippi at the time. And I came in and I had this message. And it was from this congregation. And I was like, okay. I just asked him if he had lost his mind. And now they're calling me a year later. And we set up the the interview to come up and meet with them. And this is, you know, the whole deal about signs and is God trying to take something. We were going to fly from Birmingham up to Nashville and the flight got canceled. And it was, it was a bad storm and everything. So I called them and said, look, we can drive up. But, you know, I don't know if this is going to, you know, we're going to be there late. And they said, if you don't mind, drive up. So we said, okay, got our, our luggage already on the plane, got our luggage off the plane, put it in the car. We start driving. And in Huntsville, it's actually outside Huntsville, Alabama, and I think it's still there. We're driving up. It's a little dark, and I look over, and there's this this sign. It's All it is is a white question mark on a blue background. 
and the whole way I'm going, okay, is this, you know, plane gets canceled. I got question marks. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking there's no way this is going to happen. And so we got up there, we came up here and absolutely fell in love with the people on the session and saw the vision that they had for the church and went back and talked about it and prayed about it. And I talked to a couple of friends and said, Kip, don't do it. Don't do it. You're crazy. And we did it. And so we're here. So we've been here for 17 years and have have just been blessed. Um, it hasn't always been easy. As I told the congregation we left, I had never been this stressed in the first couple of years between building and getting to know one another and, and just taking two congregations who had been in existence for probably 50 years each or more and then bringing them together and then finding out that ultimately they were together before they were separate congregations years earlier. And I did not realize that. I had no idea that they, they had actually served. To, they had originally came out of one of the churches in Nashville. I think it may have been First Church. I'm not positive. But uh, actually, when we, when we first came together and started meeting out here, uh, there was a guy who wrote in the paper, and he actually did a history of the church and had done, done the history works to find out that these two groups had actually served together in a church in Nashville. And then they didn't split the first time. They were just... That was back when churches would say, hey, you know, we've got a group of people who live in this neighborhood and we really like to start a church over here. And so they started a little church and it grew and that's how Brookhaven came about. And then the Brentwood group, actually their property got taken from them. Uh, the city was building 440. And so they had to find a place to move. And so they came out here and bought, I love telling people this because I saw the actual deed. They bought nine acres on Franklin Road in Brentwood in 1969. And then they bought two acres behind the church that they were going to build a manse and they were going to do something else with. And they paid a total of $71,000. That's 11 acres. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. To give you an idea. So the nine acres, I think was 52. And then they bought the other two, $71,000. There is next door to the church right now. Someone just sold three acres and are building a house on it for $1.65 million. Wow. So we're sitting on a gold mine right now. The denomination could get rich if we ever sold this church. <laughs> I mean, it is unbelievable what, what the cost of property is right now around here. So, but um, it's just been a, it's been a great gift. Um, we have, we went through this, this deal of getting to know each other. And then once we got in the building, we moved into the building in 2006. And then from there it was, okay, we're here. We've gotten to know each other. Now, who are we? as the church together in Brentwood. And um, on Franklin Road, I estimate, and I've never done it definitely, so this is an estimation, but if you go from Nashville to Franklin, which is a straight shot, there are about 40 churches on this road alone. Three, four of those churches are Presbyterian, Peace USA churches. Three of those churches are first Presbyterian churches. So you got a first Nashville, first Brentwood, and first Franklin, all on Franklin Road. Wow. So, you know, it's it's an interesting place to be to see how many churches are around here. It was the amalgamation of these two congregations that a few years ago I actually wrote kind of a um a guide for the denomination. And I pulled from, you know, numerous resources, but I pulled a lot from the weekly weekly newsletters from the two congregations to mm -hmm. see how those steps went and to get the personalities of the two congregations and, you know, the excitement and the plans and the meetings and stuff like that. So the newsletters were great sources of materials to watch that progression of two congregations becoming one new one. Right. So I can't, I can't remember the, the name of this little guidebook. It was like, the merging of congregations or the amalgamation of uh, congregations. The General Assembly approved it a few years. I should have looked this up before we started <laughs> recording. <laughs> but anyway, it was from the work of these two congregations coming together that inspired putting that together for our church, for our denomination, so that others could replicate it if they wanted to. Well, I tell you, you know, when I was in seminary, um, they had done this in Memphis with a couple of churches, and uh, and that ended up becoming what is now, I think, First Church Olive Branch is now the result of that over a few different uh, iterations of, of churches. 
But the way that Brookhaven and Brentwood went about it, it was not without emotion. It was not without struggle. But it was one of the best ways that I've ever seen two congregations come together. I can't take credit for that because they those sessions worked so hard and so diligently. And and it like I said, it wasn't without, you know, there were people who were totally against the idea. They didn't want it to happen. Um, and and the, the interesting thing was, if you were to look at the two congregations, and this is not this is not exactly the way it was. But generally speaking, if you looked at the two congregations, what would happen is the people there were the people who were going to Brookhaven. A lot of those folks had moved out of that area around that church and had moved into Brentwood. So they would drive by the Brentwood church to go to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and the people who were coming to the Brentwood church lived in Nashville. So they're all, so they're crisscrossing each other when they would go to church on Sunday mornings. Um, and it was interesting to watch bringing those, those two congregations together uh, who had different styles of worship. They had, um, you know, they had different styles of ministry and yet to sit back and be a part of something to watch them, you know, they had already, I, don't, I think they had come up before I got here, they'd come up with the name, they had come up with how they were going to moderate, how they were going to do the session where you had equal representation. And it was a beautiful melding of these two congregations. Um, again, not without struggle, but being open to where God was leading them. And I got to be a part of that. And so, you know, and I get to tell people being the first pastor of the Brent Haven Church, first installed pastor of the Brent Haven Church, um, is a, is a real gift. I, quite frankly, I can't believe they put up with me this long. I mean, we've been here 17 years and they're still, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't said, uh, you know, it may be time for you to, to find something else to do. <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate hmm. that. Especially since I wasn't going to be a senior pastor anyway. I, that was never my, that was never my intent in ministry. So really. Uh, okay. Well, oh, we'll yeah. get in, we'll get into that a little deeper. Um, I wanted to ask you, I like opening up with this question with each of the guests is share with me um, a meaningful experience with God. And that can be something that happened earlier today or something recently or something years ago, but a meaningful experience with God that has shaped your faith. There is, a, there was a time where um, and this was back in, this was back when I was in high school, actually. Um, there was a time where I always wondered what I was, what I wanted to do or what I was supposed to do. And I always wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to make lots of money, be a lawyer, do those kind of things. And I remember being at the Common Christian Youth Conference, CPYC is at that time we were meeting at Camp McComey and I referred to McComey as Holy Ground. And the reason I do that was something that happened there one evening uh, after worship. Uh, it was, I, and it, I don't remember if it was the, I'm pretty sure it was the last night, it was the last year that I was a youth and could go. And it was at one of the worship uh, services. And I remember, uh, I remember walking during our quiet time, as we always did. I remember walking out. And to this day, I remember the tree. It's still there. It's a lot bigger than it was because I'm a lot older than I was. Um, but the tree is still there. And I remember walking under that tree and I've never been one who's ever heard the audible voice of God. So this is not about that, but it was the, the complete and utter emotion of someone was trying to tell me something and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I remember standing under that tree full of emotion, tears streaming down saying, God, I don't know what it is you want me to do but I'm listening. And that was probably the first time that I ever felt like maybe I wasn't supposed to be a lawyer. Um, and that was a hard thing. Um, you know, my family, I, I love my family dearly, but in my family, uh, mom taught Sunday school when we were children. But then once we got in teenage years, mom didn't really go. Dad hardly ever went. Um, he was there probably Easter and, and maybe one or two other times. And that was about the extent of it. So for me to feel called into ministry was like, I mean, I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm far from a preacher's kid. I'm a car salesman and policeman kid. <laughs> and to know and to feel this, I was like, okay, I don't understand. Um, but it began to, but, but as I reflected on it, after that event happened and I came back, 
uh, as I reflected on it, I remember um, when I was a sophomore in high school was when um, I had had an experience with a teacher who uh, who did a Bible study and who saw something in me. And and I, re I re started reflecting back on the people that I was working with. So I made a point to see if this was real or not. Uh, by asking um, the leader of South Texas, Old South Texas Presbytery if I could work with the youth, be her assistant and work with the youth of the Presbytery because if that was if this was really something I needed to know. And, um, and it ended up becoming that. Um, but it was a, it, I just, that moment got, it was as if, and again, I didn't hear a voice, but it was just like the spirit just, it just moved over me and I, there was all this emotion and I was just like, okay, God, look, I don't understand this. And it was just a powerful moment for me. And isn't it nice to be able to, to test and experiment to confirm that call and to have adults or to have other individuals uh, allow us to figure that out, to figure out what this relationship is and where it may lead. Oh. I can, I mean, I can think of situations where, We've had these missed opportunities, but you're an example of a, not a missed opportunity. You were given opportunity to be able to explore your faith and see what this this calling may look like. Mm -hmm. And and I'm a benefit. I have benefited from that as well. Those opportunities that that other people have given me to exercise that relationship and and that call. So. Oh, yeah. Kip, you being a minister, it's always hard for us to kind of separate our faith journey from our vocation. So let's just lean into it. And so tell me more about uh, your calling in the ministry. Well, so um, so this teacher. OK, so so church camp has always been a major part. As a matter of fact, I talked about it yesterday in the sermon. Church camp has always been a major aspect of my life from. In fact, last summer was the first time. And, uh, and I think if my math is right, it's about 48 years that I did not attend some form of church camp. Because I started when I was about eight years old, and I was at a church camp every year. Even when I was graduating from high school and not supposed to go, I went and worked a couple of camps. So there was a church camp involved all those years, CPYC being the, the um, epicenter of a, of, of a lot of that. Um, but... I remember, okay, so in the 10th grade, I got to skip physical science. Uh, I got to skip biology, never had a biology class in my life. And I got to go to this, this chemistry class. Chemistry teacher was a man by the name of Steve Frainer. Steve was a United Methodist pastor's son. And he, um, long story short, he got me, he, he invited me to come work with him on the weekends, as he did with other students, building a house. So we're building a house. Come to find out it's a house for the assistant principal. Good thing I like the assistant principal. And so I learned how to build a house. Well, in the midst of building the house, he just comes up to me one, one of those days I'm working and says, look, we have a Bible study every Tuesday night at the house. You're welcome to come if you want to. So we get involved. Junior year. And, and so because of that, my faith was more than just on Sundays, which it had always been just, you know, it was a Sunday deal. Our youth group wasn't huge and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and during the summers was usually where we would do it. Well, junior year. Christmas break. Um, I was in my second year with Steve. By this time, I'm, I'm doing having some leadership with this Bible study. Um, Steve gets killed in a bike accident, and it it just it just shook my world. I mean, it just here was someone that I had counted on, who was key in my, who was helping me to understand who God was, and now he'd been ripped from my, you know, he's been ripped from our life. Ironically enough, he's riding bikes with a member of the youth group of my home church, uh, and he and he actually gets hit by someone I graduated with in high school. It's all this weird conglomeration of things, and I mean, and it was obvious at that funeral the thousands of of teenagers and and young adults whose lives he had touched in the short ten years of teaching he had been teaching, and. And I began to, that was when I started going, okay, God, I, I, you know, you, you give me this person and now you just rip this person. And now what am I supposed to do? The other person that was key during that time was the youth leader, Nancy Kouser, who was the youth leader. She was in Houston. She was working with South Texas Presbytery. And that was who I would talk to. Our youth, we didn't have a consistent youth leader at St. Paul, 
And so I would talk to her and then we would come together for retreats and then camp and then other things. And I began to, to listen to things differently and to understand. And then at Common Christian Youth Conference at CPYC, um, I just, I mean, that was when I fell in love with the CP Church, to be honest with you. It was there that I have friendships made there that to this day, I can go back and pick up the phone and call folks. I mean, you know, and this was, look, I'm old. I'm 56 years old. So this was back in 1980s. Um, I was a youth advisory delegate as at the age of 15 in Evansville, Indiana. And I got to sit in the room with E.K. Reagan and Dr. Pepper and all these people. I didn't know who they were back then. <laughs> I do now. So I fell in love with this, with this denomination and, and, Yet, while I was feeling called to ministry, I was not feeling called to pastor. That just wasn't it, man. So I went in and talked to my session at St. Paul and explained to them, after I'd, I'd gone through a year at the University of Texas and realized that, no, I really felt, I mean, I was beginning to really feel this push, this call, and I needed to get out of Austin and go to go to Bethel. I needed to just, I, because, I, well, there were a number of reasons, but I needed to go to Bethel. And, um, and so I told the session, that where I was feeling called was work with, with teenagers. And their first question was, why do you need to be ordained for that? And I said, well, I said, I have grown up going to camp here in South Texas Presbytery and Hugh Parsons and Joe Snyder and, and Jim Canty. They all take time to come down. But then on Sundays, they have to leave and go back to their churches and preach. And we want to do communion on some of those deals. And there's no one there to serve us communion because they have to leave. And I said, if I was ordained and was working with youth, then I could be there to do those things and not have to be away. You know, then, then the church would know that's where I was going to be. And I wouldn't be pastoring the church. I would be working with the youth there in the church. And the session said, we love the idea. So we'll suggest it to Presbytery. Go to Presbytery. I get the same question. What, if you're going to work with youth, why do you need to be ordained? And I told them again, I don't know if I was the first person. I really think Rusty Rustenhaven was the first person. But I was probably one of the first people who said, I don't want to pastor a church. I want to be ordained so I can work with teenagers and serve them as a pastor would serve throughout a whole event. And, um, and the presbytery said, okay, sounds great. And that's what I did. I mean, I, I went to seminary with the whole goal to, teen, to work with teenagers. I worked with teenagers in West Tennessee Presbytery uh, while I was at Bethel. And while I was in Memphis, I worked as associate, uh, well, not associate, but as youth director at Colonial. I mean, that was what I was going to do. Got ready to leave and um, and wanted to go to work in, in Marshall. Roy Blakeburn couldn't wait for me because I we had some stuff we needed to do. And so went to work for Paul Cook at Elmira Chapel and uh, worked there as, as associate working with teenagers. And in 1991, life changed. Um, I, I actually, it's interesting that we're actually talking about this today because on July 19th of 1991, 30 years ago, this is the 30th anniversary of a van accident in which Jody and I were in. And um, it took the lives of six teenagers coming back from CPYC of all places. And in that moment, um, I don't know, it was almost as if God said, okay, it's time for you to start doing something else. And um, it was we stayed for a little while longer there at Elmire Chapel. And then from then on, I have been pastoring churches. Um, and I, I, I argue, I tell people a lot of times that God and I are still arguing over this, that I'm really not supposed to be doing this on Sunday mornings. And then eventually I'm going to win this argument. I just don't know when that argument's going to, when I'm going to win it. Um, but I've never lost the passion and the love for teenagers. Um, I have always felt that, you know, that, this is where, you know, if I can, if I can talk to teenagers um, and, and encourage them in their faith, and that's what I want to do. Um, and I know I'm getting older. I'm bald. I'm gray. I don't move as fast. But if it wasn't for people like Frank Ward, who allowed me to work at, you know, I, I, I told them Sunday, I said, you know, I always thought Frank Ward always looked at me as just a loudmouth kid. Uh, and yet he brought me back on staff to work at CPYC. And I have been doing that now for well over 30 years. And, um, and he saw something within me. If it wasn't for people who saw things within me and encouraged me, I don't know where I'd be in this, you know, at this time. Um, I just love, you know, I, I've always been Cumberland Presbyterian. I love the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. 
And, and I've always appreciated the people who have supported me through that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you for someone who has experienced obstacles along the way, not really involved in the church as a teenager, you have these people placed in your life and then there's death. And then all the Kip, there was so much stacked up against you for you to just be able to walk away from the faith and go, look, I'm, I'm going to find something else. What was it inside of you that persistence that just kept you seeking about this relationship with God and then this call to ministry? Because you had every reason to just kind of fade away and become that lawyer. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the things that, um, and I wish that there was a, I wish there was this pat answer that I could give for that statement. Um, you know, I was thinking, as I was thinking about today, I, I was thinking about all the key events that have happened in, in mine and Jody's lives together as husband and wife, beginning with that van accident. Only two years later, um, we're getting ready to go to General Assembly and we have to wait. I mean, we, all of a sudden I go home and I'm looking for her and I can't find her. She's being taken to the hospital in Atlanta because um, our oldest daughter is wanting to come a little earlier than she's supposed to and ends up being born premature 10 weeks early. And we're getting phone calls from General Assembly going, tell us what's going on. We want to pray for. And then uh, and then most recently in this past April, um, Jody was diagnosed with with uh, stage four metastatic breast cancer. And we're hearing from the church all over. You know, people are going, hey, what's going on? Let it, Can we put it on the prayer list? Heck yeah, I'll put it on the prayer list. Um, there is this connection among the church that has become so important that I don't know that I could live without that, if that makes sense. And I, I say that God gave us that connection and it's all these tentacles that go out in all the different ways. Um, I don't, frankly, I don't understand how people go through life without a church family. I, I never, you know, I, it's just difficult for me to, to understand that. Uh, and, and I've said that over and over again, and I've had people tell me that too. They don't understand it, but, when you're the pastor of a church or when you're in leadership in the church, your church family is more than those who are local there in the congregation. It's the people who you work with and who are, you know, who are part of your life for a week in the summer or who, who you do a, a, a workshop with at a, at a leadership thing or who you go to a preaching conference with and cut up and, and just have fun. Um, and so that is what continues. You, I, I have all in, in all of those instances, I've just felt the warmth of God's presence in the people known as Cumberland Presbyterian. And look, I don't agree with all these people that I love, trust me. <laughs> but yet you can you you feel the love and the sincerity as they say, we're praying for you, or how are things going? Or you know, we're here. I remember back way back in 91, you know, I'm, I'm having to call the pastors of three churches to tell them that they have lost children in there and, and they need to call the parents. I remember Jack Ferguson walking into the hospital. Jack was over in Jackson. He didn't have any reason to be in there, but he knew that this group of Cumberland Presbyterians had just suffered the, one of the most devastating things they could suffer. And he's coming in. I get a phone call from from Jim Ratliff, who I'd worked with at, at Colonial, and and, and tears streaming down, going, "Jim, they didn't teach me this in seminary." And he said, "No, they didn't." He said, "Just know we're here." I mean, it was just those kind of things. My parents on on that particular incident, my parents were out. I had people in my home church that tracked them down, pulled them out of an event so that they could know what was going on. I don't know, man that to me is the church at work and that's a big deal. Um, and to feel that the church enveloping you that way is a beautiful thing. What words would you have for somebody who isn't connected to a congregation or to a church, but is seeking the things that you are just describing? Um, there's so much that's discouraging out there. So what advice would you give, give, me or give give an individual who wants what you have, Kip, in terms of the relationships found within a church. 
I think one of the things is that the church, you get from the church what you bring to the church. And I think one of the things that happens is we are so, we're in such a consumer society that we come in looking, what can the church give me? Well, if the if you want, you know, it's almost like, what can God give me? Okay, I'm going to go in now. What's a preacher going to give me? Well, you know, and this is one preacher saying this to another preacher. If you're looking at the church and the only thing you're interested in what the preacher's going to say on Sunday mornings, you're looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> I mean, because there are going to be days that that preacher's going to knock it out of the park. That doesn't usually happen with me, but there are going to be days where that preacher may knock it out of the park. There are going to be days where the preacher may hit a single. And man, there are going to be days that preacher going to fly, going to like a bunt fly out to the pitcher. It's going to suck so bad it's not even funny. So if that's the reason you're going, that's the wrong reason. It's about the relationships, and we have to put in into those relationships and be open. And yes, being vulnerable is very difficult. It takes time to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable. But once you get in and can begin to establish those relationships and allow yourself to be vulnerable, that's when I think that you begin to, to feel that. Um, you know, I look, this congregation... I've had, we are not the biggest congregation in the denomination. Uh, we went through a deal where we were close to 200 and things were going great. And now, of course, with the pandemic, I couldn't tell you, but before pandemic, we were averaging about 140, 150 on Sunday morning. The one thing everybody who walked through these doors said is that is the friendliest congregation I've ever met in my life. And they are. And I, I didn't have nothing to do with that. They're just friendly people. You walk in and you're going to feel welcome. And if that's what you're looking for, all you do is just accept that welcome and remember, hey, if I feel welcome enough, then these people are going to love me for who I am. And, you know, don't we've had people come in off the streets and worship and they were treated just as much as the as the guy who was the vice president of one of the biggest firms in town. Um, but I think I just think that it is a give and take. And. Once you feel that love, it encourages you to open up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you feel safer. And oh yeah, some, you, yeah. You there's some trust. Yeah, you gotta feel safe. Yeah. So, Kip, we've talked about God interacting and moving in your life in the past. Yeah. Where's Where's God working in your life right now? I am. Um, I'm trying to see what happens next i don't know if that makes sense or not i'm trying to to really listen for what is the next step for the church um i don't know how you feel about it but with everything that's changed there are some things that are never going to go back to the same um you know it was interesting uh, before the pandemic december before the pandemic uh, my sister gave me a little mevo camera and mevo is a all-in-one streaming camera. And she said, mom and dad and I want to watch y'all, want to watch your worship service. So here, Merry Christmas, use it. I'm like, okay, great. So we had to start figuring out, I hate being on camera. I can't stand it. <laughs> and so we had to start figuring out how to use it. So we start using it. And then lo and behold, March hits and pandemic hits. And here we've been doing it for three or four months. And this Mevo was so easy to use that I was using my phone from the pulpit, moving the camera around while preaching. So with pandemic hits, everybody has to clear out. We got the staff here. We move the camera up. It's a little bit bigger. We become a production studio and we keep doing it. Well, when people started coming back, it was like, okay, what are we going to do now? We need to make it a little bit better. So now we've, we've slowly started working through this and you begin to realize we're forever now going to have to do this. We are now all televangelists, whether we like it or not. <laughs> um, except that for some reason, I don't have the hair that most of them do. But anyway, um, uh, neither do you, but that's beside the point. Right. Um, so it's one of those deals where from now on, we're going to have church members. I've added church members. I, I say added. I've had people who have been faithfully watching us on online from Oregon from my home, now my parents, yes, but then friends of my parents and friends from high school and all that watching from Texas. Um, 
others watching it from Hong Kong later on. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, the church just expanded in a way that I never expected. And then on top of that, when you start adding online giving and you get a, you get a check from somebody you had never heard of before, and you realize they've been watching online and now they're participating in the life of the church by giving, even though they can't be here in person, then you go, wow, the church is, isn't just in Brentwood anymore. You know, Brent Haven Church is not just Brentwood in the, in the, within the confines. So, um, you know, we, we've got to figure out what this looks like and how are we going to continue to do ministry in a way that incorporates and brings in some of those who can't be here and still offer them a presence in the, in the body of Christ. Right. I was having, I, think a, that's con- one thing. I was having a conversation with another minister just last week of the dichotomy of having essentially two different congregations, you know, one that is in person and then one that's, you know, through tech and through that's digital and the concern of how do I minister to these people who are in a different County or a different state or a different part of the country or a different part of the world, because all that they're getting is this Sunday morning experience. Mm -hmm. And it's leaning towards those who are in person, but what about those who are, who can't be or don't want to be right. uh, there in person? And so I find that exciting challenge to be able to go, okay, well, maybe, maybe we need to start having something that is just for those who aren't meeting in person, mm-hmm. you know, in a different time during the week or later in the day or that sort of thing, so that we can build those, especially the relationships you've been talking about in this podcast, right? So that those relationships can be built with folks because we, we do struggle. We do have needs. We, we do experience loss and how are we going to connect with others through this digital age? I think it's a wonderful tool. I think we have this opportunity to do ministry. It's been here for a while. We've just been forced to use it. I think we can enhance our ministries by reaching out. Now that we've reached out, now we need to strengthen those relationships. And, and I think we can still use the same tech to make those deeper relationships with other, Absolutely. other people. I mean, you know, we were, when um, we decided, I decided, I always do a Lenten Bible study and an Advent Bible study. And I decided that I was going to make those available for daytime and nighttime and in person and online. So we would have people online and in the church. You know, I'd have a TV up with with everybody who was online, so everybody in the in the in the room could see those who were online, and then we had an interaction that way. And I used a video that I could; they would be able to watch at home, and they would be able to watch in the deal. And it was an amazing gift to be able to do that. But to offer it in the morning and on and in the uh, and in the evening gave them a choice. We're going to be doing the same study both times. So you get your choice. Pick this day at this time or this day at this time. And it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week that way. Um, you know, there was a time where I didn't want nothing to do with any of that mess. Come in, sit down. Let's do the Bible study and then get out. I mean, I didn't want to have to deal <laughs> with technology. And now it's like, hey, you know what? We can do this at any point in any time. But you talk about relate. what was interesting was... Um, uh, during the major part of the pandemic, when nobody was really attending, one of the one of our friends, uh, somebody from Bethel, actually, uh, who knew a number of people in our congregation as well, started tuning in and um, her mother got sick. And so in the middle of the service, she typed online on Facebook, please keep so and so in your prayers. She's my mom and and we're worried about her and, and all this. And so I shared that prayer concern in the congregation that morning, right after she typed it. And uh, sadly, it was a little while, it was a little while later that, that she died. And I, and she let me know that on there. And so I shared that with the congregation and there were people who gave contributions in memory of her. And you're sitting there going, wow, you didn't even know who this person is. And you definitely didn't know her mother. And yet you gave in memory of her because, and so you begin to connect in that way so that if they ever did meet, face-to-face it could be a really interesting conversation right you know to say hey yeah i worship with you on sundays even though you don't ever see me um so and then we've had people 
I've had at least two or three couples who showed up to church one Sunday at or different times and they go, oh yeah, we've been watching online. And I said, you have? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, you don't ever know who's actually watching. And with Facebook and YouTube, they can always go back and watch later. So it's just, it's a, you know, that that's one of the things that I'd really like to do is really find out, you know, how can we reach those who are tuning in that we don't know are tuning in. If they're a church member, they're likely going to say, hey, if they're not a church member, they just may be one of those anonymous people who are watching. So, but I think that's, I think that's for me uh, where the church is. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I jokingly say that these people have put up with me for 17 years. I've always been one who's, um, all preachers have egos. Let's be honest. We all got egos. Healthy uh, egos. Healthy uh, egos. Healthy egos. I like healthy egos. But one of the things that I have always worried about, and this was, and I think this goes back to the feeling that I never really, I, I didn't think that I would ever be a senior pastor of a church. I always worry Am I being effective? And so whether it be out of, you know, out of fear or whether it be just out of concern or just whatever, I'm always I'm always saying, look, God, help me to understand if it's time that somebody else needs to come in and make a difference in this congregation, um, because I've, I don't want to I don't want to stay to the detriment of the church. And. If you had told me I'd have been here 17 years, I said, there's no way. They're not going to put up with me that long. Um, now, there's a fear that goes with that because these people, <laughs> for instance, Sunday, and yes, you can see it online. These people let me do things that a lot of people won't. I had them doing energizers during worship uh, Sunday. Um, we actually, actually, I, I just did one during the sermon. I had them get up and do Revolution by Kirk Franklin, the energizer. Uh, and they did it. In fact, Jody told me afterwards, I'm beginning to think they'll jump off a cliff for you if you ask them to. But um, so you really were going with this camping theme. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, what it was. Uh, I, OK, so what it had to do with was David danced. And I talked about the fact that, you know, we don't always you know, we've been through this pandemic and everything that uh, we've been so focused on the negative that maybe we do need to dance in, with God at some point. And so I, that's what we did. Kids did the bunny hop and we did that. And then we did a couple of, we did one other thing during the worship service, but it was just like, so there's a fear in that because not everybody's going to put up with that. You know, I did, my understanding is there was one guy who'd been visiting who kind of, when I said, everybody stand up, he stood up and then he just walked right on out the door. So, you know, um, but they're just, they're just this group of people who have, have just accepted me but I always want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for them. And, and if it means that it's a time to, you know, and there, and I've told the session over and over, look, don't hesitate to tell me, look, this isn't working anymore. You're not going to, I said, it will hurt to hear it. And I'll be honest about that, but it won't hurt to do what needs to be done for their good, for what's best for Brent Haven. Um, and I think that's always what's, you know, what's important. This congregation, I don't want to go without saying this congregation is a true picture, I believe, of where we are in the United States. We have the farthest radical uh, liberal all the way to the farthest radical conservative and everything in between. And yet we come together, we worship together. Um, I don't talk politics, it's against my religion. Um, I, we sit together, we worship together, and we come to understand who Christ is, and we can study together, and we can be in a Bible study, and somebody can say, well, you know, I don't really read this this way, and somebody else can say, well, I read it this way, and we can talk about it, and not necessarily we're changing anybody's mind, but we can accept the fact that you can read scripture in different ways and that kind of stuff, so it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, to me, it's a beautiful place to be to be able to, to say that we can do all this as the people have done. Well, let's talk for a moment about your relationship with God. Okay. And, and where, where do you see that relationship today? You know, you've, 
you've alluded to, hey, I've been around for a little while. I've had these growth spurts. I've been close, been far from God. And, and, but right now, today, at least presently, how do you know God's part of your life? And what does that look like? I have never been the most dedicated prayer. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a hit or miss when it comes to, to devotional times. Um, but I see God in the people and not just the people here at the church, but the people I encounter, um, the, the witness, you know, the, the, the presence when I'm with, um, when I'm with the children getting ready to go to church camp, like they were yesterday. Um, or when I'm sitting in the silence of the office and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at a text that just looks like jumbled up words and I'm, you know, working on the, on what's going to, you know, what am I going to preach on, on Sunday and, and all that. And, and I'm looking at this text going, this means nothing. And I just sit there and for a moment, all of a sudden something begins to, it's almost like they, they begin to, to move around. And I know they don't, but it almost like the letters begin to move around and you start going, Oh, this is what this says. And I, and I realize this isn't about me at that point because looking at it, I couldn't, I mean, I, I still don't know how I get through every Sunday. I mean, um, I know there are a lot of preachers who are just jazzed about preaching and, and get up there on Sunday mornings and they give it to them and they feel real good when they get through. I don't, when I get through one, I'm exhausted. And two, I, the, the one thing that I always say to myself when I'm through is God, I just hope that somebody got something out of this because it, this isn't about me at this point. Um, and, and I think that for me, um, and I think too, with everything that's been going on with us and our family, um, the way that we have adjusted to things, um, our time together is probably one of the most godly times that we have right now. Um, when Joe, you know, there was a time, so judge has been diagnosed since April. And one of the things that changed is my coming home. You know, those who know, I, I mean, I live right in front of the house and no, I don't walk to work, which I could, but I don't. Cause I'm lazy that way. <laughs> um, but so I, so I get in my truck and I drive the one second over to the house and I get out and our routine was we would go in, we would sit down, we'd get our dinner we'd go in and sit down and we would uh, walk, turn on the TV and start, you know, there was very little conversation. Since everything has been going on with her, our routine now, as we come in, we sit down at the dinner table, their TVs in the other room, we sit down at the dinner table and we just talk. And we talk about um, how our days were, but we also talk about how she's feeling and we talk about um, the future and we talk about flowers and we talk about, I mean, we just talk, we just talk. And there is a, a spirit that moves in that moment. That is a holy moment for me now um, that I, I guess, you know, as sad as it is to say it, it took this this shakeup in our life to get to that place to where those kind of things, you know, the holy moments, like when the kids come over, even though the girls live here in town, when they come over and we sit at the table and we just talk about what's going on. And those are holy moments now. I mean, those are God moments that, that I wouldn't trade for anything uh, to be able to, for Jody to look at me, you know, we, so for the longest time I didn't leave town. I mean, we were here, and then I finally had to leave for, for seminary graduation in May. And uh, we, we kind of joked about it and I felt horrible. But so I get to Memphis and I never told her I got there. <laughs> and I never checked on her that afternoon, that evening. So she didn't hear from me when I left that morning to go to Memphis. She didn't hear from me. The next morning she goes, well, I see when you get away from me, you don't really care. And I went, oh, crap. And so when I got back home, of course, she was riding me hard about it and he was joking and I knew she was joking, but, but it was the, the awareness that 
being here, you can you can be so focused on what the problem is that you fail to see what's out there on the outside. So when I left, I left it back. Mm-hmm. And in essence, I left her back. <laughs> and she was like, it's a we were joking about it somewhat, but she said, she said, in all seriousness, I understand. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you didn't have to think about cancer. You you got to think about something else. And I said, right. Well, the joke in the house is every time I come in, there's some new flower planted outside. She's become this like master gardener or something. And I mean, everywhere I turn, there's these gorgeous flowers that are popping up. And, and I tease her about it. I'll walk in and go, um, is that a new flower out there? Yeah, uh-huh. And that's when she looked at me and she said, that's why I'm doing the flowers. Because when I'm doing the flowers, I don't have to, I don't think about cancer. I think about the flowers. And so our life has been kind of turned upside down in a way that we have to make time not to think about the cancer and to think about the other things. And so when I sit down at that table and we can sit down and talk about, you know, how was your day? How was the meeting? Um, how was, how was talking to TJ on the podcast, all those kind of things. That's a holy moment, man, because the truth is we have limited amount of time. And so if God can work through those moments, those are important moments for me. Yeah. You've, you've made me think of things I take for granted. Yeah. Things that I assume is just going to occur or happen. And wow, what maturity to show of taking a break from cancer. And I, man, I'm. Well, I got to give her I credit. Gotta, she, was the I one that, go. she was the one that put the words in it, but it is. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, and we've got a, we know that we've got a lifelong journey with this. I mean, you know, we got a, a Wednesday, we got a good report and it's the first report of what many good reports we want. There was a decrease or a stay in the same. Um, but that's the first one and we just need a lot more of those. And so every day, um, every day is a prayer that things go well and that, you know, that, that the treatments continue to work. And, um, and it's been, you know, it's been challenging, but it's been, but the church responded well, you know, they have been very, again, as they would, as they would do responding with food, responding with calls. And then the session saying, you take whatever time you need for her, but you also take whatever time you need for you. And to hear those words is a valuable thing as well. It really is. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, was, sure. That was deep, deep. But thank you for sharing. And being vulnerable was a word that you used earlier. Well, I can be vulnerable with you, and then whoever else is listening know <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let's shift our focus on to this denomination that we're a part of, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Kip, you've been a part of it for a while now, your your whole life. Whole life, yeah. Looking looking out into the future, what dreams do you have for this denomination? Where do you want us to be? Oh, well, where do I want us to be? I have listened to these podcasts, and I've listened to—you ask everybody this question, or almost everybody this question, and I, and I keep thinking— and, and I've been trying to answer this question myself since I heard you ask it the first time. Um, there are a lot of people who say, it, I, had a, I had a gentleman in one of the churches that I served. He kept saying, the Cumberland Christian Church needs to take a stand. Cumberland Church needs to take a stand. One of the reasons that I have loved the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is the medium theology, what I refer to as medium theology, in that we have, in essence, taken a stand when it comes to who Jesus Christ is and who, and, and, you know, who is God and the Holy spirit and all that, where we have allowed the, the uniqueness of the church is, as I talked about here in this congregation is that in certain issues, especially social issues, we have not said that it's wrong to drink. We have not said that it's wrong to dance, which, you know, growing up in Texas and I, you know, I date the Baptist girls and they couldn't drink or dance except that they drank and danced. So, you know, um, but I don't think that we need to be a denomination who does that. I think we need to be a denomination who says, 
you who need a place to worship, you who need a place to feel loved, come. And um, I've been really hurt by, uh, you know, social media. I love social media, but social media has become a place where we debate things. And I don't think it's healthy. Um, I think, in fact, it is detrimental in the, social media when it comes to debating things is detrimental to the church, I believe. Um, because one, you have a lot of people who get really brave on social media because they don't have to face anybody. They just type those words and there it goes. Um, and I have, there have been a couple of times where I have read posts that said stuff like, well, you know, if they don't agree with me, they can just go somewhere else. Um, you know, there, there's other churches out there. They can go to another denomination. And these are from people who, and, and I kind of got in trouble because I made a comment that, that these are from people who haven't even been coming Presbyterian very long and yet have come into this denomination and have basically said to me, if you don't agree with me, you can go on and leave. Um, and I keep thinking that if I was to stand in the pulpit on a Sunday morning in this congregation, any congregation, and say, if you don't agree with me, you can go on and leave we wouldn't probably be a church. This congregation probably wouldn't exist because while we may have 140 here, we got 140 independent thinkers in this congregation. And quite frankly, it would be boring if they all agreed with me because I like a little bit of discussion. Um, and I don't mind somebody coming out going, look, I don't know if I see this text the same way you do and being able to talk about it. And it's a proven fact that, scripture there is no one particular way to interpret scripture and while i may not agree with some folks in the way they interpret it it doesn't mean that they're wrong just as it doesn't mean that i'm wrong in the way that i interpret it now there are going to be people who listen to this podcast and would say oh no you're wrong if you don't interpret it this way and that's i guess that's on them because i just don't see it that way my hope would be that we as a common, all to say this, my hope would be that we as common Presbyterians would come together and figure out who, who we are as a congregation and what we can do to go into the world and to share the good news. Um, because I think there's good news to be shared. And um, I don't think we have to debate all of that. I think there is good news to be shared. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about here. So I told you there are 40 churches on this road. We are not the biggest church. I have a 10,000 member Methodist church on one side of me and a 13,000 member Baptist church on one on the other side. And then every other non-denominational Greek Orthodox, I mean, you name it, it's there, Baptist, the whole works. Do you know in this city, in Brentwood alone, with all the churches that are here, you cannot go in and ask a church, hey, could, could I have a meeting here without going to, most of the time the answer is no. So if, a, if an AA group or an Al-Anon group, if it hadn't already been established, then if something new wanted to come in, you can't, they don't have room for you. I had an AA group that they were meeting at one church and they said, um, you know, they've told us that we can't meet there anymore because of something that's going on and nobody else is willing. Would you allow us to meet in your parking lot? And I said, parking lot? They said, yeah, well, we really want to meet in the parking lot unless the weather's bad. And then we, we'd like to be inside. They want to do it on a Friday night. We have nothing going on in this church on Friday night. Why would we want an empty building with nothing going on? So I went to the session. The session said, absolutely, let them do it. Well, my hope is that we, so, so, my hope is that this congregation, we may not be the biggest one, but that we be a, a church that when people say Brent Haven Church, they know that that church is going to open its doors for the community. Um, no, we're notoriously rural, and we know that, and I shouldn't say notoriously, but you know, we, we're predominantly rural in a lot of cases, and we have a lot of churches that are small. Um, and we have a lot of people who are not moving into those areas. I think Presbyterians need to step up and figure out ways that we can help those churches um, be who they're called to be. And I don't know what that is. I don't know who that is. Um, but I do think that those churches need some help as well. 
Um, and I think we need to work together instead of putting each other down. Um, I know, you know, there are a lot of churches in Nashville, and I don't think any of us are guilty of that. But I've been to places where somebody goes, well, you don't want to go over there. If you go over there, this is what you're going to face. The good thing, and see, here's the other thing. The good thing about the churches in Nashville is we're so diverse. Uh, if, you know, you could become a Presbyterian and go to one church in Nashville, and and the, the style of worship is very contemporary. If you come to Brent Haven, it's more traditional style of worship. Um, if you go to another church, it's kind of a hybrid kind of thing. So the diversity, I think there's, there's an advantage to being that diverse. Um, I don't think we all have to look the same. I don't think we need to smell the same. Yeah. I, I like asking that question because it's looking forward, you know, and instead of it's, it's easy for us, especially in the last year and a half, two years to find things that are wrong. And I like the question because it's, it's looking forward. Where, where do we want to be? What do we want to strive for so that we're not stuck in finding things that are wrong? That That's easy, but it oh. change, changes our posture and it changes our personality individually. And I think as an entire group. So that's why I like asking of that looking forward of where we could be, where, where we're heading. Well, it's interesting you ask that because in, in this congregation in particular, November, uh, we will make our last payment on our $1.56 million note. All right. And so everybody's going, what's next? What's next? And I said, okay, I'll tell you what I want to do next. I want to do a family life center over there on that side. And everybody's on board with it. So I'm, you know, they've known I've been talking about this for a long time, but I want to do a family life center. But on that, in that family life center, what I'm envisioning is, uh, and I've, and I've talked to some of them about it. I haven't talked to everybody who would be involved, but have a room and this is actually a, something that saint luke does here in town which i thought was wonderful have a room that if a group wants to meet at the church and that room is open the brentwood community room you want to have a meeting and you need a place to meet if that room's open on that day here's a key there's a bathroom in there it's self-contained with an air conditioner and all that you don't have to go to any other part of the church it's all right there don't have to go through session approval you just hand them a key and say here it is. You're there Tuesday from four to five. On the other side of the of this area of what I want is to work with. We don't need to start a new food pantry here. We don't need to start a new clothing drive here. We have Grace Works here in town. But if we could partner with Grace Works and say, OK, we got a satellite of Grace Works here local in the church. We're not reinventing. We're working with ministries that are already vitally important in this community and then say two three times a week we're we are grace Works satellite campus open so that they can come in and get food and clothing or whatever so we're not we're not having to reinvent the wheel we're taking the wheel and just incorporating the rest of the car with it so right we right on and do ministry um and then of course i do want a gymnasium but i want to i want a facility where if a if um, one of the, some of those mission groups, youth mission groups will go into big cities and they'll let, you know, they'll, they'll bring folks in. Well, I want to be a place that if a mission group comes in that we've got showers and beds and they can sleep in our, in, you know, down here. Um, so I just want us to be an, a place where ministry happens. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things we need to do is we, as the common Presbyterian church need to be a place where ministry happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we had well, a, and it sounds a, like, it sounds like it's more of a community center than a family life yeah, center. It, it well, really that's does. the way I envision it. That's the way I envision yeah. it. Um, you know, we had a, we've had a homeless ministry that, that was started through this church, uh, Sacred Sparks, who, uh, Lisa Cook spoke at, um, at the women's convention. And when she was bringing, you know, we'd take the bus out and we'd bring 30 people here and they'd stay in the fellowship hall. We're not doing that as much because, some of those downtown have opened up and allowed those groups, but we were doing, we were doing couples and we were allowing those with pets to come in. Um, man, people miss that so bad because those, because we're not able to do that. We're not doing that as much as we once were. I mean, they love getting, you know, getting in there and using their hands and, and being a present for people. And, and I'll never forget that first time I brought the, some of those folks down and I'm driving that big old bus and, and I've got people in the back and, it got real quiet and they're looking around and one of them goes, 
All right, folks, y'all better be careful. We in the hood now. <laughs> I d- it broke up that whole bus. I've never laughed so hard in my life. I thought, oh, my gosh. Here are these people who, who live in the, in the homeless community in Nashville. We're out here in Brentwood with the green trees. There's a golf course across the street. We in the hood now. Y'all need to be careful. So. <laughs> well, Kip, with all of these adventures that you have shared and your vision, how can we – continue to follow you on your faith journey well predominantly on facebook the brent haven page um i have you know i have probably uh other things as well uh, you know I, i've got some i i've done some other things instagram and that kind of stuff but i don't really keep up with it that much predominantly with the brent haven church page okay Usually everything is on there um i do post every once in a while especially on facebook um but we're trying to increase our presence on social media a little bit. And so um, through Instagram and some things like that, but really that's the place that seems to be the place. All right. Well, Kip, thank you for sharing your time with me today. We've been trying to do this for a while and finally got you and I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it very much. I did too, TJ. Appreciate it, man. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road.